Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their world. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. The Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Hi, Dale Dixon here alongside Ron Price, and we have a video version and an audio version of the podcast if you're watching the video. So good to have you in our respective offices, and uh, good to see you, Ron. Good to be with you again, Dale. So I'm going to to tell our audience, take a deep breath for today's <laughs> for today's topic. We continue with the theme of thinking, but today we're talking about thinking and emotion. And uh, so often uh, we approach this that sometimes emotion clouds our thinking, especially in heightened states of emotion. I know speaking personally, I can feel like my thinking gets clouded and that's why I say I just need to take a deep breath, step back and assess the situation. So with that, um, the floor is yours. Talk, talk about this concept of thinking and emotion and how it plays in for us as leaders. So I'm, I'm reminded, Dale, of uh, I've got probably a dozen or maybe 20 quotes in my head that keep echoing back to me over the years. And one of them is a quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes who said, I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on the near side of complexity, but I'd give my right arm for simplicity on the far side of complexity. He was a, a jurist. He was a Supreme Court justice. And so obviously a lot of times in the law, that's what you're looking for. You start with a simple claim and you go through this complex trial of the presentation of evidence and the arguments, and you try to get to some kind of a simple conclusion at the end. And in the same way, there are a lot of things in life that when we're young, they seem simple. As we grow and mature, they get very complex. And we're hoping that we can get to simplicity on the other side of complexity. And this is an area that's been that way for me. Um, this idea of what role does emotion play in our thinking and the quality of our thinking is something that has fascinated me for quite a while. In the 1990s, I began to see some literature come out about the concept of emotional intelligence and how that affects our thinking. It's really amazing that that phrase now is ubiquitous. Everybody has some idea of what you mean when you say emotional intelligence. But prior to the 1990s, really the late 80s, nobody had written anything about that. It's a fairly new study in how emotions impact our thinking. So as I studied it, first I studied Dan Goleman, who wrote the seminal book called Emotional Intelligence, which is over 400 pages, rich with great ideas, uh, great ways of thinking about how your emotions impact, impact your thinking. But more recently, I've taken more of an interest in what the neuroscientists or the, the brain scientists have to think about it. And part of it was that I wanted to test a theory I had about the relationship between logic and emotion. I had this idea that um, our emotions in the moment, which Daniel Goleman writes a lot about in his books, um, create sort of an echo in our brain. And so I would call it emotional memory or the emotional echo and how that might bias our thinking long term. So I went to study the brain scientists to see if I could validate my theory. What I discovered was I kind of could and I kind of couldn't. 
<laughs> what I discovered as I began to research it is that back in the 90s, the brain scientists, the neuroscientists were actually doing the scientific study of the brain rather, rather than the psychological study of the brain, discounted the idea that the human brain is made up of three subbrains. So this is something that Dan Goleman popularized in his book, and you will find people today still talking about it everywhere. They'll say we have the reptilian brain, which is the brain that helps our body function, and it, it really is the thing that's there for survival. Then we have what they call the limbic system, which they claim is what houses our emotions. And then we have the neocortex, which is the analytical part of the brain. Well, neuroscientists back in the 90s decided this is not the reality. It may be a nice metaphor, but the reality is that we have one brain in which all three functions take place uh, consecutively. It, there, there's not a lower brain and a higher brain. It's all one brain. And what they've discovered is that it's not unique to us as human beings, but that this one brain that has the ability to function in three different areas exists in all mammals. They've, they've discovered that to some extent it, it exists all the way down to the fly's brain. Now, it, that's another thing I can't even fathom is how do you study a fly's brain? But, but getting back to human beings, um, what, what they're saying, and, and um, one of the greatest researchers on this who's written quite a bit about it, um, is saying that what actually happens is that our brain is a budgeting machine. Our brain is a, a central control tower whose primary purpose is to keep us alive. And therefore, its primary purpose is to understand what's happening inside the body physically. And it is budgeting all of the resources in our body to keep us breathing, to keep our heart beating, to keep us alive. And as a part of that, it's constantly making predictions. These predictions come from three different sources of data that are being fed to the brain. One is the body systems, what are called the introspective systems, are feeding information to the brain to let us know where energy is needed, how much of it is needed, how it's going to flow. The second part is what's happening in the environment around us and the way that we're being influenced by the, the social context that we're in and all the different ways that uh, temperature or um, uh, relationships or any of the things that are happening externally are impacting our brain and feeding information to our brain. And the third part, which is inside the brain itself, is its predictive capacity. So the brain's actually making hundreds of predictions every second based on everything that it's taking in, in terms of data, and it is managing the flow of energy as a result of that. Now, this all sounds way too complex, so let me get it down to the, the, end, the, the end thing, and that is that those predictions create responses in our body to survive, which in a sense end up creating emotions. So it's not that the limbic system triggers an emotion and sends it to the neocortex. It's that the whole brain is working in concert. And one of the functions of that is that it may send a signal to the limbic system to release cortisol to the adrenal glands so that we will now have the ability to perform at a higher level because we're in instant danger. And that's what we call emotion. 
So I'm hoping that a few of the listeners are in the same place that I'm at um, in hearing this, because as you said, uh, this whole idea of the three brains, the limbic, the neocortex, uh, that the reptilian has been driven deep into us. And I'm immediately thinking of a TED talk that uh, millions upon millions have watched by a guy named Simon Sinek, who, who wrote the three concentric circles and tied the the reptilian limbic and neocortex to this idea of start with why i think that the way that uh, the people are coming at it from more of a psych psychological point of view which includes simon sinek or daniel goleman or a lot of folks like that may be helpful as a metaphor but it's not scientifically true okay and and then i'm gonna bring in one more author who a lot of folks have read um and that would be uh, Daniel Kahneman and Thinking Fast and Slow. So yeah. this is more. This is what you're explaining sounds more in line with what he's written around. Once again, I think he's he he called it Brain One and Brain Two, and the, and thinking thinking fast and thinking slow. So, um, any any connections there? Yeah. For yeah. Folks so first, to, oh. I think I'm just pushing a pause button and helping people catch up because. Yeah, and I'm going to turn away from the camera for a moment to grab a book that uh, that helped me with this. So. Okay. So yeah, while Ron's doing this, this is the first time that I know I've heard of of this and uh, these conversations. He brings the topic to the table and says, "This is what we're talking about today." And um, as he noted at the very beginning of the podcast, these are some things that we might not have uh, heard before or been thinking about, and that's why we're turning to Ron to be the one to enlighten us and and bring us up to date on the latest in this area. Yeah, so I couldn't find the book. Um, I just recently reorganized my office, so my brain's not working as well as it should be. <laughs> but I believe her name is Mary Louise Feldman, and the, the title of the book is The Making of Emotions, or The Making of an Emotion. She is a neuroscientist uh, who's worked at Harvard and other places out on the East Coast. And um, she's the one who said, these guys all have it wrong. She actually um, talks about Daniel Henneman and thinking fast and slow in her book, or thinking slow and fast. I think the world of him, you know, he won a Nobel Prize for his theory of behavioral economics, which basically says that people don't make economic decisions rationally, they make them emotionally. Interestingly, I have uh, an interview with him that was a fascinating interview. He's such a humble guy. He, he's world-recognized. But in going back and talking about his book, he said, you know, unfortunately, many of the experiments that we ran in our book have been proven to be false since we wrote the book. We can't replicate them. So he said, as much as I've learned as a psychologist, which is what he is, he's not a brain scientist, as much as I've learned as a psychologist, I recognize now how much I don't know. Whereas uh, what I decided to study to try to test some of my theories is I decided to move away from the psychology part, which is more of a soft science, to the neuroscience part, which is more of a hard science. And um, of course, there's so much that we still don't understand about the brain. But just one other piece of information that, that just amazed me that is uh, only um, vaguely relevant to our discussion today is that the the neurons which 
we think make up the brain only represent 15% of the brain mass. Only 15%. The other 85% are glial cells, which are used to create new neurons. We, 15 years ago, we didn't believe you could manufacture new neurons. We now know that glial cells in the brain can actually create new neurons. They build the sheath around the neural pathways or the synapses, and the, the stronger the sheath they build, the more effective those connections are between the neurons. It, I mean, it's just amazing what is out there in neuroscience that hasn't found its way to psychology yet. So what is it, how is this relevant to our discussion today? Well, I'm, I'm trying to understand how emotion impacts thinking or how thinking creates emotion. And one of the main things that Feldman says in her book, which is very disruptive, but has uh, gained more and more acceptance amongst the field of neuroscience, is that our thinking creates the emotion rather than the emotion creating our thinking. So the thinking is created by a series of predictions at several hundred per second of how our brain is trying to evaluate or ascertain what's happening inside our body and what's happening in the world around us. And then based on those predictions, the brain triggers the release of these hormones, which we end up defining as emotions, but they're actually a physiological thing that is now sort of hijacking our brain. Once this happens, what happens is our brain is put on high alert and if, if we're in a true high-risk, life-threatening situation, it's our servant. But if we're not in a true-risk, high-life-threatening uh, uh, situation, it becomes a um, source of misjudgment or a source of bias. And it mm -hmm. begins to interfere with our brain's ability to keep making accurate predictions. So the brain doesn't quit making predictions, but the predictions have now been distorted because of the release of these hormones into our system. But the release of the hormones was triggered by our brain's, brain's predictions. And that's something that up to this point, we didn't know, we didn't realize. So in a way that it takes a, a while to get your brain wrapped around that and to understand what's happening. I've had to reflect on it for months in order to be able to just explain it to you the way I've explained it to you now. But it becomes important in the context of us talking about doing a better job of thinking as leaders to recognize that, that we've got these predictions which trigger the release of hormones, which then can distort the future predictions that happen after that. So I'm thinking about fight, flight, or freeze. And incoming information, brain processes it subconsciously and makes a determination if it needs to send the hormones to initiate one of those three responses. And it's based on previous experience and what my brain knows from that previous experience on how it's going to approach it. Yeah, it's based on three things. Uh, the first thing is the past predictions, which you call previous experience how our body's talking to our brain and talking about what it needs in terms of energy to stay alive, and then the external environment and how that's influencing us. Those are three different distinct data points that are all affecting how the brain is making predictions. 
So in our book, Growing Influence, Stacy Ennis and I um, bring up this concept of it, it, it's just sort of an afterthought that David, uh, one of the main characters, shares with Emily as they're breaking up after having coffee together. He says, whatever you do, Emily, remember to keep logic in front of emotion instead of letting emotion get in front of logic. She's dealing with a situation that has an emotional response and his caution to her is that if you respond out of that emotion, which we now understand, if you respond out of that uh, increased sensitivity because of the release of hormones, which we call the emotion, you will probably make misjudgments in how you handle the situation. And Emily begins to think about it. She begins to realize how many times that emotional state that she's gotten into drives her behaviors and how it often doesn't get her what she wanted. It often takes her the wrong direction. So that's really the core of our conversation here today is that for leaders to become better thinkers, they have to begin to develop an awareness of what's happening. And when the predictions my brain is making or the logic is working well and where it begins to break down. It begins to break down when those hormones have been released and I've got the fight, flight, flock, or freeze is what I like to say. There are actually four different components there. That's really what Daniel Goleman was writing about when he wrote about emotional intelligence. And I think his model of emotional intelligence is brilliant, even though it's built on a faulty premise of what the brain is actually doing. So the, the model still has great value, even though there's a fallacy in his understanding of how the brain works. So what is your approach now to logic leading emotion as, as part of the discussion? Now that you said you've spent the last several months contemplating what you've learned around the brain science and, and how does that influence and, and how does that, how should we be thinking about this? So the first thing is that I said that my theory was kind of proven and kind of disproven by my research. So it was disproven in that I thought that we, we had an emotional response from our limbic system that then clouded our mind. And, 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 but it was proven in that what I called emotional echoes were actually past predictions that the brain was storing as a way of helping to improve its future predictions. It, the, the fascinating thing about the human brain is that it has no ego. And so it doesn't hesitate to set aside a prediction once it's been proven to be an error. The problem is when our emotions are stirred up, now we're bringing into it all of our thinking about whether or not the other person is seeing the facts the right way, whether or not the other person is trustworthy, whether or not um, we are going to have to change our self-concept. And so all these things are going on because of the raised state of awareness, which distorts our predictions. And that's where we get into this idea of developing emotional intelligence. So for me, it's about recognizing, is my brain working well in its predictive making capacities right now because my body is at rest as at peace? Or is my brain potentially making false predictions because my body is in an elevated state of stress, which we would have called emotion. So when you look at Daniel Goleman's model, 
he says that all emotional intelligence begins with greater self-awareness. So greater self-awareness means that we become more aware of what's happening. We become more of an observer of what's happening. Um, one of my other favorite philosophers, Robert Hartman, says this is part of what makes us human beings as opposed to any other creature on earth, is our ability to think about ourselves, our ability to self-reflect. So I can think about who I'm being, thinking about who I'm being, thinking about who I'm being, and it goes on and on and on. And this is part of the human endowment. This is, as far as we know, what makes us unique from all other creatures and um, we sometimes also refer to this as consciousness, the ability to recognize what's going on instead of just reacting to what's going on. That's self-awareness. That's the beginning of emotional intelligence. For a leader, part of the way we do that is by starting to develop an awareness of a relaxed state versus a heightened state of thinking and then understanding what the cause of that heightened state of thinking is. Is it that I'm angry? Is it that I'm sad? Is it because I'm envious? Is it because I'm fearful? What is it that's causing this heightened state of prediction, which is distorting my ability to predict accurately? And it can also be positive things, Dale. This is what I've had to work on because I'm, I don't tend to be a pessimist. I tend to be more of an optimist. So I've had to learn to be aware of unrealistic optimism or hope or love. So you've heard the phrase, love is blind. That's a heightened state of making predictions where we often believe something about the other individual that may not actually be true. It may not actually be logical. Now, thankfully, we learn how to sort through those things when we have long-term happy relationships. We learn how to develop love, not just based on that heightened state of feeling, but on other things like commitments and unselfishness and things like that. But any of those things that we describe as emotions that create a heightened state of, of uh, really distorted predictions about what's going on around us are things that we have to first become more aware of. So in my, for some people's case, they have to become aware of how anger affects them. Yeah, I'm not saying I never get angry, and I've had to work on that also. But more common for me is a heightened state of optimism where I actually make things better than they actually are. And I have to be careful of that so that I don't end up making misjudgments because I've allowed that emotion to get in front of my logic. I don't know. Is this too complex? No, you are finding simplicity or you're helping me see the simplicity on the far end of complexity. Um, we can tell that you've spent a lot of time in this area. I'm doing a time check and I'm, I'm looking through some of the, the notes that you shared with me. I'm wondering if this is a break point. And um, let us t pause and consider everything that you've told us. I think I'm going to go back and listen to this again because it's going to be like your favorite movie. You're going to go back and you're going to listen. You're going to pick things up uh, that you missed the first time and maybe the second time around. But uh, you referenced the EQ model and you've talked about self-awareness, but we've got self-regulation and motivation and how those play into thinking in emotion. Yeah. So yeah. And, I think, and I think I think you're right. I think this is a great time for us to pause to think about this relationship between logic and emotion. Thinking of logic is when we're doing a good job of predicting 
what's happening around us and how we ought to respond. And emotion is when we get into this heightened state and it distorts the quality of our thinking. Let's just pause and, and ponder that, see if, if we can observe that in our day-to-day -day interactions and when and where that's happening. And then we'll come back in our next conversation and talk about the rest of the components of emotional intelligence. Because the amazing thing is it's not just about understanding it happening in us. It's also developing the acumen to understand when it's happening in others. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is uh, EQ. So... <laughs> I'm going uh, to encourage folks to go to thecompleteleader.org. It's a website that uh, hosts a lot of information to help you on your leadership journey. You can find more about the brain, about emotional intelligence uh, there at the website, and a host of other things. Uh, this podcast is a companion to the book, The Complete Leader by Ron Price and Randy Lisk. Uh, the podcast definitely stands alone. You can just listen to these episodes, uh, but when you put it together with the book, you get a deeper understanding of the, the concepts and the ways that you can grow in your leadership journey. So I encourage you to grab that book, go to the website, thecompleteleader.org. And then we would love to hear your comments about today's episode. Uh, drop us an email. So Ron's email address is ron, R-O-N, at price-associates.com. Um, so it's price-associates.com is the uh, website and the, uh, the at for Ron's email address. I'm at uh, info, I-N-F-O, at daledixonmedia.com. So we'd love to hear uh, your feedback on this, any aha moments that you've had in listening to this. I know um, I've got a list of the aha moments, and uh, uh, hopefully I was able to communicate through those as we, uh, as we had the conversation, Ron. It's been enlightening. I appreciate it. Any other final words for us? Uh, I, no, Dale, I, I really enjoy these opportunities for us to chat. Let's just think about keeping logic in front of emotion. Absolutely. With that, this is the Complete Leader Podcast. Everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Have a fantastic week. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.